Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. The Protestant Reformation is commonly dated from the year 1517 when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Castle Church at Wittenberg, Germany. The ramifications of this event on Western civilization has been the subject of endless conversations ever since, and doubtless it has had significant political, cultural, and religious consequences across Western Europe and into the United States. However, the spiritual impact of the Reformation, even upon the nation where it originated, is often misunderstood and even overstated. In any case, an almost palpable spiritual darkness has begun to descend upon Germany and its European neighbors, leaving it in evident need of more zealous evangelization and a renewed Bible-believing church-planting effort throughout that land. My guest today is Brother Kenneth Murphy. Brother Kenny has served in the field of Germany since 2002. In this first part of our interview, he relates how the Lord saved him and somewhat unexpectedly planted him in the land of Germany. We discuss at some length the nature of the field of Germany and how the difficult spiritual atmosphere there has taken shape over the course of history and how that impacts the mission of missionaries in that region of the world. With that introduction, let's get into the conversation with missionary Kenneth Murphy. Brother Kenny, I've been looking forward to this conversation about ministry and missions in the field of Germany. And uh, I, on my part, I can scarcely relate my own story um, of how the Lord um, dealt with me as a pastor in South Alabama and how the Lord got me here to Middle Tennessee. I can't tell that story without some reference to you and to your ministry and to some of the influence you've had in my own life. So I'm really thankful for you, brother, and, and love to hear you relate uh, your own story and how the Lord got you from South Alabama to uh, the field of Germany. So uh, as a starting point today, why don't you relate for our listeners uh, some of the details of your conversion and your call to ministry and how that landed you there in the field of Germany? Brother Lee, I'm, I'm glad to be with you today. Um, you've been a true yoke fellow uh, ever since uh, the Lord crossed our paths and I'm very thankful for you as well, and I can only say that um, a lot of the things that I have learned in the ministry in the short times that we've had um, of my uh, furlough trips back to the States, I've learned a lot also from you, and I'm thankful that you've started the podcast. Uh, I was born and raised in Bruton, Alabama, and um, I guess uh, around the age of 18 to 19, where most of the kids are looking uh into going into a career or starting their education, I was uh, spiraling more and more into trouble. And uh, I believe it was a sheriff's deputy came to my dad um, at his restaurant and he came and presented me and, and um, my shotgun to my father and said that it, he thought through this incident, the best thing for your son would be is to go into the military to get him out of this environment. And so that really started, I guess, um, uh, it's a strange place to start, but a, a, a start for my conversion. I was born uh, in in Germany. You really have to uh, say this. Um, I was born in a in a home where God was never uh, the concept of God was never thought or uh, taught or thought of, and um, just never had been exposed to the gospel. Had gone a couple of times, uh, to my recollection, to a small Southern Baptist church. Uh, there in my hometown, but uh, none of that stuff really moved me. I joined the military and um, joined the infantry, and uh, the need of the army at the time was to uh, attach us to a patriot unit in Germany. So that's how uh, I initially come in contact with Germany. I served here four years in Germany, and during that time I was uh, stationed uh, in Tel Aviv, Israel, of all places, uh, during the Gulf War. And I remember probably for the first time in my life, I had had some traumatic uh, events happen in my life. But for the first time in my life, uh, it was during the time Saddam Hussein was uh, shooting Scud missiles at Israel uh, that they taught us to get down beside our bunk and cover our heads, and, and which really didn't make any sense if a 
bomb were to land on your camp. Uh, but I remember with all of that noise and confusion that night of alarms and bombs, uh, missiles blowing up over our heads, for the first time in my life, I, I gave thought to the question, what would happen if I died? And I remember just drawing a blank. I, you know, during all of that confusion, there was no answer that came back. And that, and that unsettled me. And uh, as soon as the all clear signal was given uh, from the company, um, it didn't take long before that unsettling feeling uh, went uh, dormant. And I never thought of it again. I returned to Germany uh, at the end of the war and I met my, uh, my wife, whom I'm now married to. I uh, met her about six months before I left Germany to come to leave the uh, military. And uh, we fell in love. Uh, we were both uh, both lost. And uh, I left Germany thinking I'd never see her again. Got back to the States. My mother and father had started going to church, and she had some videos, and she kind of set a trap for me with the gospel. And for the first time in my life, I was 23 years old. Uh, I started considering uh, heaven and hell. I started considering the fact that I was a sinner. And on the 5th of November, uh, 1993, I called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ on the bank of Murder Creek. That separates that? that separates yeah. East Bruton from Bruton, <laughs> and uh, there I was born again, brother. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. I uh, I know right where I know I know where you're talking about. Uh, uh, thankful that the Lord that the Lord reached you there, and so when you after you were converted, um, you couldn't uh, you couldn't get Miss Sandra out of your mind, I guess, uh, back in Germany, and so that was the. I guess that's sort of uh, part of the part of the story of how the Lord got you uh, got you back to that field. So after your conversion, how did things proceed in terms of your your call to ministry and uh, your preparation for ministry and your eventual um, uh, direct the Lord directing you to the field of Germany? Well, at the time, um, I, I had no faults of Germany whatsoever. Uh, even when I was in Bible school, which uh, I'll explain, um, Germany was really the last place that I wanted to go back to. Uh, I never took the time to learn the language when I was here for four years. Never took the time to learn the culture, which is the case with most single soldiers. Um, so, no, but you you said it exactly right. When uh, the next morning uh, I survived the night, I was in real bad trouble the night I got saved. And the next morning, the first thing that I had trouble sleeping because I was thinking of all my friends that I was sure that they were lying somewhere in a ditch and they had, they had died and gone to hell. And I was the only one that got out of that predicament. And I was very troubled. I was upset. And the next morning I rushed over to what I thought my, at the time were my friends. And I proceeded to tell them that I had gotten saved, that they needed to trust Jesus Christ. And, um, so uh, they they brushed that off. They my initial witness did not take root, and it was probably the next day that I said that my my past girlfriend in Germany we 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 broke up, and I thought I would never see her again. But uh, the Lord laid her on my heart that if I was lost and going to hell, then certainly she was too. So I called her, told her that I had received Christ and I would like to tell her about Jesus Christ. I was uh, unemployed at the time, and uh, so I bought myself a plane ticket and returned to Germany. Her her parents had a uh, an apartment next door, so I proceeded. I got off the plane with a Bible in my hand, and my wife said that that was the first image of me, and she said it was it was unsettling to her to see that I had a Bible in my hand. I told her I had gotten saved, but she didn't know what that meant. So I proceeded to uh, read the Bible to her and witness to her over the next course of about five months and she trusted Christ and we returned to the United States and uh, we we moved uh, from Bruton, Alabama to um, uh, to Pensacola, Florida and I joined a Bible school there, Pensacola Bible Institute, joined the church, Bible Baptist Church in Pensacola and and sat there about two years under the preaching and teaching of my pastor and um, uh, brother, I didn't have a choice. Uh, God was calling me not to the mission field, not to the pastorate. I just I just had to learn the Bible. So God called me to the Bible school, and it was during that time, sitting under the preaching of Brother Donovan, who is the pastor now, 
uh, that God dealt with my heart uh, almost on a daily basis about doing something with my life. I had started a small Bible study in my dad's restaurant in Bruton, uh, where I was working. Uh, through the time I was going to Bible school, I was preaching on the streets there in Bruton. And um, in in my heart, uh, I felt like I was called to start a Bible-believing work in Bruton. There, there was nothing there. And so that was my plans. And um, our son was born in 1998. And uh, my wife started having difficulty uh, lifting him and uh, doing just the basic mother functions during the day. And we come to find out she had... Uh, uh, somehow myasthenia gravis. It's a it's a neuromuscular disease. Uh, she was diagnosed with that, and she got really really bad. My third year Bible school, and it come to a point where we were uh, just being smothered in debt. We had no insurance at the time, and I had to leave uh, my third year of Bible school to go back to Germany because they have socialized medicine here, and uh, she was able to receive the the medical treatment that she needed, and um, that was a very hard transition for me. Um, I was the cleanest I had ever been in my life. I was, uh, in my eyes, I was. I had a pure desire to please God, and I had no idea why He would put me in a country where I didn't know the language, where I had no prospect of a local church, uh, and using the talents and the gifts that God had given me uh, in Bible school. You know, I I go back to a day, uh, I can't remember the exact message Brother Donovan was preaching, but uh, and I was surrounded by probably a hundred other grown men that were weeping. Um, and I myself, I was weeping, telling God that I would go anywhere, I'd do whatever he wanted me to do. And um, But I was still not accepting that uh, it was had anything to do with Germany. That, that, that was a curveball for me. I, I personally wanted to go to Vietnam. That was my in my heart. And um, if, if I could not start a church in my hometown. So I, I wound up in Germany. My wife was in the hospital for five months. Uh, I was raising our small uh, infant child. And uh, someone had told me about an American military church there in Germany. And uh, so I went there and found they had no pastor uh, uh, and they had no teacher. So I immediately started preaching and teaching uh, in the absence of any uh, pastor in that church and Later served under a man uh, out of uh, Tennessee Temple. And uh, the longer I stayed there in that role, um, I started getting a burden for the German people. I saw no open witness. I could not speak the language. I was very crude uh, in, in, in my uh, language skills. Uh, but I would go out and hand out tracts and uh, do the best I could, uh, could to tell the people that it was a free gift of salvation and the pastor started taking notice of this, and uh, he pulled me to the side, and it was just some real godly counsel uh, that lined up with some providential things in my life that were going on. And he said, look, God has not called you uh, to be my associate pastor. He said, you've got a heart for the Germans, and you should be in prayer about this. And uh, so that started my process of asking God to uh, give me a confirmation to return to Germany as a missionary. And I set out, um, I guess it was... January of 2002 uh, to raise my support and we come back to the States and I, I don't know if I met you in 2002, 2003, but that's yeah, when we returned to a, raise support. Yeah. It would have been a bit, bit later than that. A few years uh, after, after the fact, I think you had been to Germany and, and were on a brief visit uh, back to see your family when we first met. Um, in relating that story, I, I wanted to, to draw attention for our listeners that I, I, later on in this conversation, I'm going to ask you a little bit about some of the American perceptions of the field of Germany and in particular in Western Europe in general. And uh, so I don't want to I don't want to uh, rush the, the conversation here, get ahead of ourselves. But the way you've described your, your call to Germany, I, I appreciate the fact that this was not, this was not, it's not like you, it's not like you pick someplace off of a map. It's not like you were, it, it's not, it wasn't a research project that led you to Germany. No. It, it's really not like you simply chose the field of Germany. It's God that divides to every man severally as he will. And I, I know you have the confidence that your calling to Germany was just that. It was God's doing. You used the word providential just a moment ago. So um, it's 
this business of doing the will of God and following the Lord, it is very often not what we expect it to be. And that is true, I think, of missions as well. Uh, We have certain perceptions about where there are needs or where we would like to go or certain things that are in our hearts. But um, being where God wants us to be, is it's really just a matter of following him and being obedient. And, and that's how you ended up in that's how you ended up in Germany. It's not uh, it, this was like plan C, but it was it was God's it was God's purpose. He got you where he wanted you to be. So that's a that's a blessing to see the, the providential hand of God in these things. And brother, I was I joined Bible Bible Institute um, in 1997 coming having come out my mother and father were sitting in a charismatic church and i left there my wife and i did when we saw that that could not be of god and uh the first semester of bible institute was matthew revelation and daniel and it was so far over my head that (laughs) bible school at least the first year and a half was me struggling to uh to put all these things into perspective so i would not have had the spiritual capacity to have chosen a mission field. Like I said, it was in my heart's desire to return to my hometown. And, uh, you know, God is just in his infinite wisdom. Um, you know, his thoughts are not our thoughts. And I'm so thankful that that's, uh, that's the case. So that's, uh, yeah, my, my ending up in Germany had absolutely nothing to do with me. As I said, that would have been the last place I would have gone. And, uh, the more darkness I saw that surrounded me here in this country, though, the the more it became apparent that God did not put these things into me um, by chance uh, or by accident, and that uh, he had gotten me where he wanted me. I, the joke is now that if anyone knows me now, I'm, I'm, I'm bald. Uh, I actually shaved my head, uh, and but at the time, God picked me up by my hair and planted me over here like he did his <laughs> <Yeah>. Ezekiel brother. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, there was a time, Brother Kenny, and and uh, this goes back to our sort of our um, some of our first interactions. You were visiting Bruton there, seeing your family, and and uh, it doesn't take long. Birds of a feather flock together. It doesn't take long for Bible believers to find each other in a in a place where there are very few. And uh, I don't remember exactly how we made the initial contact, but of course you had it in your heart at one time to establish a work in Bruton, Alabama. And that's precisely where the Lord took me in 2005. And when you and I met, actually, I was having a, a, a great difficulty in my own heart trying to, uh, it was difficult for me to reconcile the fact that I'm an hour away from where I grew up. And I'm serving in a county with uh, literally dozens of Baptist churches while there, while, while there was not a King James Bible believing Baptist church that was, that was aggressively evangelizing the area. I was just struggling in my own heart about um, my role in getting the gospel around the world. And uh, the Lord used you in a, in a really important and meaningful way for me at a time that I needed it. You reminded me or, or brought to my attention, brother, this is, this is where I wanted to be. And God got me to Germany and he got you to Bruton. And, and it was in, in, uh, along with a series of other events, it was part of the Lord confirming in my heart that he had got me where he wanted me to be, uh, having led me to the town of your nativity and in a manner of speaking, allowing me to do in Bruton what had originally been in your heart. I think it's an interesting testimony to God's providence and, and his wisdom in, in dealing with men. And I thought of uh, the Apostle Paul, for instance, and his associates that um, were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. And, and mm-hmm. they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. But that doesn't mean that no one went into Asia. And it doesn't Amen. mean that no one did a work in Bithynia. God just has a way of getting different men to different places in his timing to do his work. And what is a great joy is just to be able to back up every now and then and see that you're part of that and that the Lord in his wisdom and the Lord in his power and providence is, is guiding your life and, and coordinating these things in ways that we could never see at the time. And in which uh, ways in which, to be honest with you, are, are almost, uh, they're, they're mystifying for us because we don't see the bigger picture. So, uh, 
I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be able to, to be able to see how those things come together, uh, by and by and how the Lord gets men to where he wants them to be. Amen. That's, um, one of the things is what Paul said in first Corinthians, uh, that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Um, and I see my calling and I'm speaking only for myself, uh, that there are not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Though, um, when I look at Germany, you know, my pastor always said that uh, he was the joke on academia for a Christian ac- academia. And uh, I've always viewed myself as, as sort of God's joke on, on the <laughs> academia in Germany because I've never counted myself to be a, an extremely, I'm not, uh, you know, the, the, the sharpest knife in the drawer and, I, some people tell me that it's uh it's a false modesty that I, I sometimes overplay but um uh, brother I, you 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 worked in Bruton Alabama and I I'm, I'm certainly not throwing off on the people some of the finest people I've ever met in my life there sure uh, but the educational system was just rotten uh in in Bruton and um and so it was not until the time I went to Bible school that I I think the Bible was the first book I completely read through in my life. And, um, so I thank God for the ministry. I thank God for Bible school. And like you said, uh, us converging, uh, there in my hometown was just, it was just God's hand. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for it. By the way, as a, as a footnote to our listeners, um, you brother Kenny were the first person to tell me of a, of a pastor in middle Tennessee by the name of Ron Ralph and uh and a church here cornerstone baptist church and of course um after after learning of brother ralph's ministry from you many years ago uh i i pursued uh, a relationship with brother ralph try to glean from some of his wisdom some mm-hmm. of his experiences and then of course in time the lord got me here so uh, again your 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 story and the intersection of our ministries is uh i i really can can scarcely relate uh, my own testimony and and the the full story of my ministry without reference to yours. So, anyway, that's a that's an interesting um, side note to all of this. But as it pertains to the field of Germany, you, you've you've just brushed up against something there in reference to you uh, you being sort of uh, according to the flesh, not ideally suited to that field of, of, uh, of intellectualism and, and academia and so much emphasis on education. And yet, uh, the Lord has you there, uh, be that as it may some years ago. And, and particularly while we were in a meeting, I've seen your presentation a number of times, but while we were at a meeting together in Mississippi, some years ago, uh, you related some of the historical background in Germany and put connected some dots that I had not previously connected. And so I want to I want you to help us understand the field of Germany a bit more. And I think by extension that that much of what could be said about Germany could be said for the rest of Western Europe. But in terms of church history, Germany is commonly regarded as the land of the Reformation. Yes. I mean, just here in recent years, there's the 500th anniversary of the uh, of the 95 Theses being nailed to the to the church door at Wittenberg there, and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, excitement and and so forth, and uh, in Germany about that event. But as you could as you could well relate it might just as well be regarded as the seat of laodicean apostasy if you would so it might be helpful if you could relate a bit of church history to the present spiritual condition in germany and i'd like for you to take this up at least initially in on, along a couple of different lines first of all uh, along the lines of the reformation the reformation is is commonly regarded as having begun there in Germany mm-hmm. in the 16th century. And while there are many features of the Reformation for which I think all Christians could rejoice, it really never produced Bible-believing Christianity. Yes. And so 500 years later, how do you think the shortcomings of the Reformation are reflected in German Christianity? Well, it's like you said, there's a perception that because Germany is the land of Reformation, that there is these uh, great acknowledgement and great reverence uh, for what has taken place here. But the reality is, 
even during that 500th uh, uh, year anniversary of Martin Luther having uh, nailed the 95 Thesis to the door, um, anyone that was not in a Bible school or someone that is deeply religious, that day came and went uh, with very, very little uh, reverence. Uh, I think the, the town was filled with foreign pilgrims that came, even from the United States. I received uh, phone calls from from people from churches in America wanting to know if I could come and pick them up in Berlin, in Berlin and take them to this thing. That would have been about a 12-hour uh, trip just to come to this uh, place. And I told them that I've got I've got a lot of things going on in the ministry at the moment, and that it was just going to be swarming with tourists. And um, so I personally did not even go to the uh, celebration of it because I've lived uh, the past twenty years of my life in the uh, the land of the Reformation, brother, and it is spiritually it is dead as a hammer as a hammer here, and it's um, it's been some of the some of the most challenging things I've ever uh, begun and continue in my life is to deal with this ground here that was never broken up. Uh, the Reformation in and of itself was a, an attempt to reform the Catholic Church, and all efforts, um, at least the efforts that are uh, left uh, in history, the victors always write history. Uh, and uh, so the Lutheran Church here, has never produced anything. Um, I guess the closest thing would be pietism, uh, the right. uh, the stream of pietism that came from here. Uh, but even before the Reformation, brother Fry, uh, Philip Fry, a fellow yoke fellow here, we we recently did a podcast on the uh, on the uh, Waldensian uh, mission, uh, uh, the Waldensian movement in the Piedmont Valley, south of us here. There was a lot of Bible-believing movement here in Germany, uh, and even the forefathers of what we come to be known as Baptists that was uh, very active in this country, that did have right doctrine, um, but unfortunately, because they were being persecuted from the Catholics and the Lutherans, uh, much of that information is, is uh, either uh, very hard to obtain or completely disappeared from the face of the earth. Sure, and and I I think it's perhaps something that's not well known among those that haven't applied themselves to the right kind of church history. One of the things that the uh, for as much as the reformers simultaneously were were at odds with each other, actually, uh, men like Luther and Zwingli that uh, just couldn't come together. Um, because of uh, certain prejudices about finer points of doctrine even. One thing that they always had in common, in addition to their hatred for the papacy, was their despot for Baptists and Anabaptism, as yes. it would be called. And uh, so while you <laughs> the, the, the better representations of Christianity in the course of church history, the Valdensians, as you mentioned, um, and then at a later time, the what's sometimes called the Radical Reformation with Anabaptists, mm. and uh, they did have a presence in, in the German-speaking world. Uh, the reason that we are less familiar with them is because the, the, Lutheran, the Lutheranism that took, that took root was uh, actually very, very antagonistic toward those movements. Yes. And what prevailed, uh, I guess, in, in some respects— had more in common with Roman Catholicism than biblical Christianity. And I guess that's still present in Absolutely. the country of Germany. Absolutely. Those two churches, although uh, even in my presentations in the States, I, I call Germany a church-state religion. It's technically not a church-state, uh, at least on paper. Uh, but every outward appearance is they actually collect a—they levy a church tax on its citizens, which, uh, which e ends up being— between seven and nine percent of the income tax goes to a church religion. If you uh, if you ascribe to one of those two uh, churches, either Catholic or Lutheran, my my daughter was born here in Germany, and they ask us at the time of her birth, is she Catholic or Lutheran? Uh, she's <laughs> she's neither. Well, what is she? She's nothing. She's she doesn't have a faith. She's an infant, right. and so, so I I wasn't aware of it at the time, but they. That they sprung the question on me. Depending on what answer you give them in the birth certificate, 
that entitles them to take between seven and nine percent of your income out of your check uh, of your paycheck for the, a church tax that is levied on the people here. So it's it's very that whole we call it the dark ages. Uh, the dark ages did not end in the 1500s uh, uh, in Germany. <laughs> it goes on now to 2020 uh, in many regards. Um, and so, yeah, they, they, you know, I, I've made a big deal of it on, on my presentation uh, in the States. I'm, I'm not a Protestant. Uh, I'm a Baptist and uh, we're not protesting against the Catholic church. We, we have never tried to reform it. But unfortunately, right. this country in, uh, in which I serve, uh, it is very much the the consequences of people uh, being taught to fear God by the precept of men. Um, it's very, very apparent here when you come here is a darkness uh, that hangs over this uh, land here. Uh, not only does the physical sun not shine uh, like I'm accustomed to in Bruton, Alabama, the, sure. the the light of the gospel is is very bleak here in this country because of the, because of the failed aspirations of the Reformation. Another element of the spiritual darkness that is so prevalent in that land, I know that you've suggested that it is related or exhibited perhaps in um, the presence of higher criticism. Germany is really the fountainhead yes. of higher criticism along with a lot of other academic and intellectual wickedness. And as a matter of fact, I mean, you're aware of so much of, of the, the present situation. At the time of this recording, a lot of strange things happening in America. Even some of those uh, Marxist ideals mm -hmm. uh, and critical theory and some of these things, they're, they're traceable to Germany. Yes. And so I, I'm, I'm wondering if you could comment on the, on the fashion in which those philosophies and those vain deceits, even, even so-called religious types have served to leaven the spiritual constitution of that nation. Well, if we're going to speak of the Reformation, Martin Luther, obviously, obviously um, the world around is, is heralded as, um, as the spearhead of the Re uh, Reformation, and you know, it 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 never ceases to amaze me how that people leave out uh, the Morning Star of the Reformation, um, uh, that they they leave out all of the good things of the Anabaptists that took place and certainly contributed to the spirit of the Reformation. But Martin Luther, um, uh, I think, in, in my opinion, fell way short of of uh, producing a Bible-believing work here in Germany. And uh, he did produce a Bible that is, and I consider myself blessed on this mission field. I know a lot of my fellow missionaries uh, would have a far uh, greater uh, problem with the, the Bible that is translated into their languages, the German Bible, the Luther Bible. And, and because of him, the, the weight that, is, that was put on uh, the biblical text here has produced actually very sound uh, uh, Bibles here in this country. We we have uh, about around four Texas Receptus Bibles here, uh, and of course, just like anywhere else in the world, uh, there's this splitting of fellowship over the translations and stuff like that. But uh, we we can get back to that if you'd like. But the 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 idea is that Luther's Bible really is the greatest achievement uh, that come out of the Reformation. And uh, I guess after that, the Moravian missions uh, under Zinzendorf, uh, some 200 years later. Um, but it's like you said, brother, the, every, every good that Martin Luther or uh, anyone that uh, accomplished anything here, Mino Siemens, uh, it's the Mennonites, mm -hmm. that's the, the right. beginnings of the Mennonite movement. Uh, all of those things were overshadowed uh, by the textual criticism, both the higher and lower uh, textual criticism, and it's like you said, the uh, a guy by the name of Eichhorn um, is actually the father of higher criticism here in Germany, beginning of the 19th century. And Julius Wellhausen, uh, the Wellhausen right. theory, uh, uh, Karl Lachmann, the first critical Greek text, uh, he had a hatred for the Rece Texas Receptus. And then uh, right on down to Constantine von Tischendorf, uh, which was responsible for the Codex uh, Sinaiticus. And some of these things you know, unless you're a Bible student or, or very interested, 
uh, people could could say, look, you're falling into a, a heady trap uh, with the, with the Germans there. But if you don't understand where the uh, where the train derailed and what happened, there's a consequence for perverting God's words. And the Germans were the uh, that's what they actually spearheaded was the perversion of God's words uh, when it comes to uh, the post revelation uh, uh, post Reformation uh, era. They uh, it was a counter Reformation to undo any good. And, and listen, I'm not taking away from uh, some of the things that Martin Luther did were, were astounding. He, he really got a hold of, uh, you know, uh, uh, being saved by uh, faith and uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And those things are very needful uh, for any country and any person. So I'm not taking away completely from what he did, but the higher criticism, the lower criticism, which took place here in Germany, the academia, completely destroyed uh, any good that was once produced here in this country. In terms of falling into some kind of heady trap, <laughs> the, 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 you're talking about a nation that is already ensnared hmm. altogether with headiness, with high-mindedness, yes. with uh, almost the deification of education. I, you, I've heard you make reference to this on, on any number of occasions. How, how, do, how does that filter in, that, that sort of deification of education, that sort of deification of intellectualism and academia? Uh, it's really pervasive among the people. How does that filter out uh, in terms of your day-to-day ministry and some, mm. of the, some of the things that you've had to deal with, uh, practically speaking, on that field and dealing with people and certain perceptions that uh, – that men have, uh, could you comment on, on, on how that mentality mm-hmm. affects the, the populace and, and really affects their ability to receive the truth? It's very complex. Um, it would be, um, it would be almost a disservice to, and, and not that I'm ever going to try to take, uh, the academia into, um, and try to, protect it from from criticism but germany also um uh, went through two world wars on their own soil here uh that greatly affected uh i read a book actually by peter hitchens uh in england how that world war one destroyed the faith of england and some of those things are too high above my uh, uh reasoning to understand the era that they lived through and for the people to lose their trust and faith in God, which was simply taught to them by precept of man, and to have two world wars rage on their continent. Um, you know, the Germans have a saying here that the best men of Germany are in St. Petersburg. Uh, I, ble- I believe that's where they were saying, uh, you know, some, some two million German men fell on foreign soil in Russia, wow. and which then, then it's a chain reaction all of these men that are missing from First and Second World War gave a very dominant female spirit here. So feminism uh, took uh, actual far deeper roots than what we see today, which we're actually just now seeing uh, the fruition uh, in America. But in Germany, uh, since the certainly since the fifties, the femini- uh, feminist movement has has really, really been a force to be reckoned with. And listen. The women had to be strong, brother. They're, they're, all of their men were missing, and they had to raise children um, uh, all by themselves. So that coupled with the fact that Germany was then split down the middle during the end of uh, World War II, um, the Berlin Wall was actually coming down as I was stationed here in Germany. Some friends were uh, invited me to the to the wall being torn down. At the time, I had no appreciation for history. Uh, what a historic moment that would have been. I wish I would have taken part of it. But uh, the wall was coming down, and then Germany was inundated with with about 14 million atheists. Uh, wow, that, yeah. They, they were forced out of Western uh, Europe, uh, out of Western Germany. And once that wall came down, they flooded. And what they, they brought with them also, their mindset, their disdain for the church or, or, or a concept of God. And so... That's why I said it's a complex, it's a complex issue, complex issue that uh, we're dealing with in Germany, and the higher criticism and the academia, just uh, it just nails the uh, the nails in the uh, in the coffin, and every day that you deal with these people. In fact, I just had two two uh, brethren come to me 
um, to my home and said, look, uh, you're just constantly uh, kicking uh, academia in our church. And how are we ever going to get visitors to stay if you're always kicking, you know, something that they might hold very precious? And, you know, it's just the mark of, of, of Christians that haven't understood uh, what we're fighting against in, in this country here. So that makes for a very, very tough battle uh, when your own church members uh, that have, you know, been with me uh, for some of them for, for a decade uh, still don't understand why that that spirit has to be fought against. And um, so that's, that's, that's a short answer of, to a complex question. Well, that's almost like suggesting that Paul shouldn't make reference to these, his spirit shouldn't be stirred in Mm -hmm. Athens by the rampant idolatry. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, fields are different and times change, but the Thessalonians had to turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Well, (laughs) in Western Europe, they're not turning from, from, you know, gold and silver and wood and stone idols they're having to turn from their from their atheistic evolutionary um, education in order to serve the living and true god uh it's it's just a it's just a different set of of false gods it's um it's an ingrained system the germans have one of the most um intricate and organize educational systems, like I said, coming from one that was deplorable. Um, there's there's a lot of things to be desired about um, the emphasis they put on training and education. Uh, you, the Germans start. I mean, we we actually took the word over in in, in America. Kindergarten, kindergarten is is a, a transliteration of kindergarten uh, here in Germany. And so it starts there. Homeschooling is illegal here in this country. And the reason for that is, is because they have so much, um, they have so much uh, influence on the student's life from the first grade all the way up into the higher education. And it really uh, produces a people at the end of the day that they only trust, they only trust their education. They only trust their brain, their career. These are the the highest goals that can be attained in Germany is is career and education. The the uh, uh, apprenticeship here in Germany is. I, I wished actually that America would learn some more from the Germans in that model, in that sense of the word. Uh, your just your basic knowledge uh, of world knowledge uh, is. Uh, I'm just always amazed at how well these people are educated and how uh, what a what a grasp they have of education. But again. Uh, knowledge is power. That's the exact thing that uh, Satan gave to Adam and Eve uh, for the fall of man, and that's how deep rooted uh, this whole system is in this country. Here, it's uh, it's not the Garden of Eden. It's 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 literally the polar opposite of Garden of Eden when it comes to spiritual things, and it becomes and it comes because of the uh, the very very heavy emphasis on education. Even the uh, one of the things I laughed about, and I always tell the story of. The, their toothbrush com- commercials here is they have a man and it's a very, very famous commercial. He's dressed in a white uh, lab coat and he has a toothbrush and he's pressing it against a tomato uh, to show that this is the best tooth- toothbrush that your money can buy. But it's the white lab, lab coat that's supposed to sell the, uh, the toothbrush. <laughs> if you have a doctor's title here, you're, you're knowledgeable. And if you don't, you really don't know what you're talking about. So this is this is some of the difficulty of trying to reach the people. Well, in so-called uh, post-Christian America, these are some things that we're beginning to have to grapple with, even in the even in the South here. For for I guess uh, the first time in generations in the South, when we knock on a door, say, or mm-hmm. when we talk to somebody for the first time, you're not dealing with necessarily the 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 rank and file. Is not are not people that have been raised to fear God that have been raised necessarily to even believe in God. We're talking about a generation now that have been raised up and uh, they 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 didn't get they were not corrected as as children because that's you know that we just we just don't do that because of the emphasis of on psychology and so forth. And then mm-hmm. they go to school and they're 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 taught that they 
that they don't have a created purpose, that they don't have a creator that they came here by uh, natural processes, processes over millions of years. And so no wonder it's, you know, evangelism has new complexities in America. Uh, but but for you in Germany, we're talking about we're talking about that kind of setting that has been entrenched for now, I don't know, a hundred years, 200 years. So, so, uh, it's really, really an uphill battle, I guess, uh, communicating the gospel in a setting like that. There's much to be overcome just intellectually to, uh, to present Christ to sinners that, uh, worship their own minds. I was able to go, uh, recently I had to pay good money but I was invited, so I paid. Um, but I sat in on a roundtable discussion um, myself and Brother Fabian. Um, I've mentioned him several times to you. We were able to go to one of the um, theological seminaries here and sit in on a symposium of, um, I guess there were about eight or nine um, theologians in the room. Myself and Brother Fabian, uh, Fabian were the only two that were not um, theologians. Uh, in the scholastic sense of the word. And uh, the entire day was uh, was uh, referencing a theologian that was in our town here uh, that was active back in the uh, mid-1800s. And, um, but they kept giving slighted or, or real uh, veiled references to baptismal regeneration. That, and this goes right along with the with the academic and scholastic uh, problem that we have, the children here, as I, I noted, once you fill out your birth certificate, you not only obligate yourself to a church tax that's levied upon you, uh, you are also promptly baptized as a child, at which point you're told that you've been placed in the kingdom of God. And um, when you turn 14, you go through confirmation, or if you're a Catholic, you go through fiermung. It's called Fiemel. I don't know what the English word for that would be. Uh, but they are all at the same age told, now you're old enough to make your decision to freely follow uh, the the church. And these kids, uh, because of peer pressure, uh, they get money from all of their relatives, and they go door to door with a wagon, and they beg for schnapps, and they beg for alcohol that they put in their wags with 14 years old, and they go door-to-door, knocking on doors to get these uh, handouts from people, and everyone understands it's t- it's time for confirmation, and these children that are turning their lives over, supposedly, to follow in the, in the church, uh, they're getting drunk of many, some for the first time, but at 14 years old, and this is their absolute end when it comes to anything resembling spirituality. The average German, uh, upwards of 80% of the Germans will only attend church one to two times a year, either Easter or Christmas. And uh, when you get a population, brother, that has been told since birth that they're already Christians, and they then grow up all of their scholastic life being taught that rationalism uh, far, it supplants any idea or need of a of a living God that you're going to one day give an account to, and heaven and hell are simply uh, simply myths and legends. Uh, that makes for a very very, like you said, an uphill battle. It's a, it's a spiritual fight, and it has been for twenty years now, and um, it's it's ingrained in the people's head uh, that the idea and the concept of God cannot be limited. To an absolute, and so therefore, uh, actually, the Germans that would be open for anything, the more radical it is, the more, in my perception, the more susceptible they are. I would have never thought that uh, the charismatic movement could have gained traction here in Germany. There, the people are just too reserved, uh, in my mind, to have received such a movement. But brother, the charismatic movement, uh, praise and worship. Uh, even in so-called Baptist churches here, the praise and worship will be a 45 to one hour session, and the sermon is uh, considered a good sermon if you keep it down to 15 minutes. And oh, yeah, sure. This, I mean, I know that America is also experiencing this. I just never would have thought that Germany would have fallen for 
something as emotional uh, and essential as uh, the charismatic movement. But the Emergent Church, Saddleback Club, uh, all of these mega church growth systems, uh, because Germany is so hard to get anything going here, has also been very attractive for anyone that would be uh, even halfway conservative, such as the uh, Pietists or the Free Evangelicals. They are all following in these mega church uh, uh, church concepts, these systems, in order to you know. And it goes back to the question about uh, how do the people react to my kicking uh, 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 scholarship and things like that. Uh, over here, and, and and I'm sure in America, everyone has this thing is, you know, you, you want to always have the most amount of visitors and the most amount of members as you can possibly get. And you just, you just have to realize in Germany that if that's your goal, you're going to have to compromise. And if you're not willing to compromise with the spirit of this age, then you're going to have a small work. And uh, so we've tried to concentrate on the people that the Lord has given us. Uh, that we have plucked uh, like a firebrand from the fire. We've concentrated on them trying to build their lives up. It's always been my philosophy, and, and that's that's a, almost a wicked term in the Bible, but it's been my strategy that a born-again native, that if I could train him, uh, that they would do a far better job of reaching their own people than I ever could. So there, that's the course that I've taken over the years to try to push back against the rationalism uh, and the, and the just, I would say that Germans are agnostics, but that right. almost leaves room for a desire to know. And the fact is Germans have no desire to know. They use agnostic as almost as a, as a lazy term to describe themselves. They're they're in, in all reality, they're just godless heathens is, is what they are. Yeah, there's a willful ignorance. Yes, <laughs> that's the that's the nature of the, of the agnosticism. Um, so it, obviously, the the German people have very little exposure to to the to the the biblical gospel, mm -hmm. and I think that you'd you'd say even less acquaintance with what a biblical church looks like. So it, there's a sense in which, and and you and Brother Fry have recently started a, an English podcast uh, mm -hmm. along with some, some German speaking, some, some German podcasting as well, but you've been in intera interacting with this a little bit. It, it, it sounds to me like there's a sense in which, um, a Bible believing missionary in a field like Germany is trying to reintroduce biblical Christianity. Um, and, and you guys even talk about the need for a, a movement in that country, something that the country, uh, really has not, has not seen at, at least not in the time that that you've been there. So, the context that you've described, how does that affect the objectives of evangelism and discipleship and church planting? Um, can you elaborate on on how the ministry proceeds in light of in light of the atmosphere that you've described? Well, it'd be an oversimplification to say slow. Um, but um, that is uh, an adjective that, uh, or an adverb that would describe uh, slowly uh, how this work is going forward. There's times, brother, where God opens his hands and gives us handfuls on purpose, and uh, it sure is a delight. Uh, it's like snow in harvest time, and uh, it's, uh, it's a refreshment to the soul. Uh, but a lot of the time is spent on plowing, and uh, you're trying to undo what these people have been uh, raised in. And even when you present, you know, the, it would be, it would be a great blessing to say, all you have to do is introduce the right way, but there's such a pushback against it that they've, as you said, they've never recognized what a Bible believing local church, uh, would even look like. And so there's a pushback against, uh, direct preaching, preaching against sin, uh, preaching against uh, bad characteristics uh, in Christians. Uh, these things that accompany a local church and should accompany every born-again Christian, uh, there's a lot of pushback because it is so foreign. Um, if you go to a church here in Germany, most of the time, and this is not an exaggeration, you're going to get a, a political uh, message from the pulpit, and mm. somehow it always turns and 
uh, and has to do with socialism. It's a it's a socialistic gospel, um, uh, which is also has its roots in Marxism. Uh, I forget the name of the movement uh, in the states. There, um, I think uh, Reverend Wright would, was one of the uh, prominent figures uh, during the Obama uh, administration that uh, that uh, pushed this socialism, this Marxism, Christian Marxism. Uh, in the church, and so we we live in a socialistic country, brother, and and it's it's almost like uh, if the people are conservative, if the people have a desire to seek God, they almost treat the church then as an entitlement, like they do other things in their socialistic life. So a lot of these things, these false concepts of Christianity, uh, are ajar to uh, the average visitor. And if I could say that I did anything wrong, uh, and I'm certain the Holy Spirit is going to, uh, and Lord Jesus Christ is going to bear witness that the judgment is here to Christ, but it would be the fact that I did not take that into consideration probably the first um, seven to eight years of having been here. Uh, when we had visitors come to our church, I gave them no special preferential treatment. And a lot of the preaching, they were just so unaccustomed to that they could not endure it. And, you know, looking back, I, I could have used more wisdom uh, during those days. Um, so today I try to be as as um, impromptu as possible when it comes to when we do receive visitors uh, to lighten the message up a little bit and not uh, just shock, uh, be a shock to their system that they go into uh, some kind of a sporadic, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> almost epileptic uh, reaction to what they're hearing. And uh, not right. that I, you know, again, it's a constant battle uh, not to compromise and, and to present the gospel to them in such a way that they are not uh, so uh, broken up and torn to pieces that they can actually process what they've heard. And And this has been probably the last eight to 10 years of of my ministry of uh, changing this, uh, one of the one of our members she invited a lot of people to church over the years, and one day I was we were driving her to church with us, um, Sister Olga, our piano player who passed away two years ago. Um, we were driving her to church, and she mentioned one of her aunts, and she said, "You know, uh, she visited our church uh, last year," and the Holy Spirit just really smote my heart that this woman had invited almost every one of her family to our church. And um, I was uh, perhaps so hard that uh, none of them ended up sticking sticking it out in our church. And that was probably the turning point for me where I started uh, saying, you know, as Jude says, that we are to make a difference. Some, you know, uh, making a difference and, and some you're, you're to pluck a brand from the fire. And, and so that probably marked a difference for me uh, going forward in the ministry. I can't say that after these years, these number of years, it's, it's made a great difference as far as our membership, but at least in my mind, uh, I've given them every possible chance I could to hear the, the, the gospel without making it so, um, contentious for them that they immediately dismiss it. If that makes sense. Sure. Every, every field has its own unique set of challenges and, and from, from culture to culture, those, those challenges, uh, differ, but I guess the trying to establish that the delicate balance between uh, addressing people, because in, in a, in a, in a religious and spiritual setting, like the one in which you minister biblical, biblical Christianity is so far off the radar. It is so radically different than what they're accustomed to, even in a, even in religious circles Yes, that, as you say, it's a shock to the system. So trying to, trying to, uh, uh, if, if you, if you can uh, accommodate that reality in terms of your presentation without compromising in any way, the message, uh, it's, I'm, it sounds like it's a, sounds like it's probably a challenge. Um, to to address people where they're at, uh, without in any way watering down the uh, the biblical message. You know the uh, the Germans, the farmer farmers here in Germany, uh, and it's really a shame, uh, but they're viewed as ignorant people. Um, uh, they're called Bauer, 
a farmer in Germany is called a Bauer. It would actually be more closely related to a redneck in, in America, uh, the word Bauer. And what it means is they're uneducated, they're unfiltered in, in their thoughts. Uh, they don't, do not get in society enough to understand um, uh, protocol and uh, all the all the fine details of how you interact with, with strangers. A Bauer, a farmer uh, here in Germany, is viewed as someone just being crude and uh, there's a certain part of the ministry here, and I'm certainly not saying that I'm the pattern. Uh, I've presented myself as a pattern uh, that it's almost like a John the Baptist uh, ministry where you are just disrupting the status quo here so so uh, shockingly that um, that people have to take notice of you. You can't be ignored. I mean, I come to Germany uh, and started preaching on the streets here. Um, now, Throughout the years since I've been here, there are some Germans that uh, do preach on the street, but at least in my area here, I'm the only street preacher, and uh, brother, that is a radical, radical concept for the Germans. Um, sure. They come by and yell at me that the church belongs in the church building, and why do you come out here and disrupt our day? We're trying to enjoy a day with our family and shop, and we have to hear this junk, and uh, it is a very toxic environment when you start preaching on the street. And the the idea of placating a people that is, like you said, Zinzendorf and Luther, one thing they had in common, they hated Baptists. <laughs> so that's one thing that has survived the Reformation movement is a Baptist. Uh, they're considered a cult. They're considered a sect here in Germany. Um, in England, they, you know, of course, they had Charles Spurgeon and the Baptists had a much greater, uh, res- a better reception in England, um, but Martin Luther and and the Catholic Church, of course, uh, made short work of them. And even to this day, the Baptists are viewed as a sect. and And so when we go and preach on the street, it's it's plowing the ground. And you know, if I'm certainly uh, don't believe in pantheism, but if I were the ground, I wouldn't like for a plow to dig, uh, you know, twelve inches into me. And, <laughs> Sure. And turn my back over. And uh, so basically, when we go on the street and preach, uh, I've had some of the greatest moments uh, when it comes to spiritual battles, but uh, also blessings of just uh, crying, crying out like John the Baptist on the street here and proclaiming the faith here of Jesus Christ and the coming judgment to this country. That's that's another thing, brother, is it's not only an anti-scholastic message, but that Germany is going to be held accountable of their disdain uh, and um, and just utter detest for the gospel and the word of God. That when I tell them in an open environment, uh, if if you don't, if no one ever tells you that you're a sinner, then what is there to repent of? And so that's another problem we're seeing in Germany is even through the charismatic movement here in Germany, the the people are coming to Christ. They're not coming with a with a uh, a godly sorrow. It's a sorrow of this world, and they're just adding Christ to whatever system they have. And so that's part of the reason that um, the, the ministry has been such a battle is you're trying to bust and break up this this fallow ground that has laid dormant for... And, and it's strange. The town I live in is, is 900 years old. The town our church in is going to celebrate their 1275th anniversary uh, year after next. And I mean, we're dealing with a culture uh, and a heathenism that the power of the Reformation did not stamp out of these people. One one of the things, um, and I'm not saying that I relate to this man at all, and um, I did not plan on speaking on him, Boniface, Bonifacius, uh, that come to Germany, I believe from Ireland as a missionary, become the patron saint of Germany. He come to Germany and cut down their god, <laughs> They was worshiping the oak tree, <laughs> and he come right. in and chop. He chopped it down, brother. And there's a there's actually a there's actually a uh, plaque dedicated to him in that forest where that took place. But just to show you where these people they were just uh, they were just a wilderness people. Just as, as you know, people think of the Congo and the deepest tribes of Africa, and the Germans were no different. And the only thing they've ever had to push against that heathenism uh, was uh, the Catholic and the Lutheran Church, and they didn't even scratch the surface of the true uh, wickedness of the heart of these people here. 
Germany, as with most countries in post-Christian Western Europe, is an admittedly difficult field of service. This could be illustrated by the many foreign workers that have gone to that field, striven against the pervasive secular spirit of that land, and shortly left it behind despite the modern creature comforts afforded by that society. Many of those who have stuck it out over decades have done so with numerically modest results secured at great spiritual cost. But as Brother Murphy would remind us, the conclusion that gain is godliness is not becoming of a Bible believer, either in the presentation of the truth of the gospel or in an approach to missions and church planting. Some places are apparently fruitful. Other places bear a meager, hard-fought harvest. There is no place where plowing, sowing, watering, and weeding are not necessary. It is God that giveth the increase. I hope that you will tune in for the conclusion of my interview with Brother Murphy as we discuss American perceptions of the field of Germany and the spiritual warfare that is waged by the missionaries that labor there. Thanks again for tuning in to today's Great Commission Conversation. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, feel free to invite others to tune in. I always welcome your feedback about this or any of our programs. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. Mm -hmm.